Okay, as I said, we're going to be in the book of 1 John today, uh, primarily in chapter 4, 7 through 21, and even a few other places, but it's right there, a paragraph or two away, maybe one page flip uh, if you need to, uh, primarily in the book of 1 John. And as I said, uh, we've had uh, four times uh, in it together, not long enough to get to uh, the very end. And, uh, and, and also, as we looked for this, we ended last week with talking about what children of God look like and children of the, uh, of the devil by contrast. And one of the measures was uh, how we would show love for one another. And I don't want to say it ended on a negative note at the end of uh, uh, four. Uh, uh, of chapter 3, verse 10 there, uh, but sort of like a, it ended in that warning. And uh, it would be very easy now to pick that up right in those verses or to go on. And, uh, but I wanted to get to this uh, passage of First uh, John 4, 7 through 21, uh, because I think that it, it hits the heart of the letter of First John. Of course, the whole letter is important. We've, we've paid that attention, right? Verse by verse, all the way through 310, looking at some of other parts of chapter 3 today and in the church. Uh, chapter four, but I entitled it Knowing God Through Love. And I'll confess, I literally lifted it right off the, the subtopic of my CSB, uh, Christian Standard Bible, uh, but it really uh, spoke to me. I just, uh, you know, I understood that that was more what God was showing me at the heart uh, of this letter is. It would be a perfect opportunity, right, to take First John 4, 7, and 8 uh, and preach a, a message on how we are to love one another and list the ways, the practical ways that would not uh, be wrong. I actually look back through my notes. Uh, I preached one, uh, such a message one time and, and some, with some other passages, very edifying, very good way to, to look at this scripture of how uh, to worship, uh, you know, or show our love for one another. But I see the essence of the whole letter of the uh, uh, book of First John here is, is knowing God through love, right? Understanding what that means of how, not, so not much how, how we're to love one another, but kind of why and to what end uh, we do that. And it's because of God's love for us, and hopefully we'll see that together. And so let's kind of just set up for this morning, and then, of course, uh, concluding that, well, working towards communion, and uh, not as an add-on, but just seeing it as literally part of the whole service, as uh, I think the Word of God speaks to that directly uh, from our scriptures this morning. But then especially the worship, the worship we just had, and the worship closing uh, that we're going to have as well uh, is going to work uh, right into communion time. And so as we read this together, we're going to just read uh, these uh, 14, 15 verses here, 7 through 21, uh, together here in a moment, but just I want us to read together with your eyes on your scripture. Think back to the previous chapters uh, to see and hear the contrast and the repetitive themes and try to really get an essence of what this is. So let's read together. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as the world's Savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. 
and we have come to know and to believe uh, the love that God has for us. God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him, and this love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister as a liar, for the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has, not, whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has seen. And we have this command from him, the one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Let's pray again. Lord, we just thank you for that, that scripture. May that just speak plainly uh, to us, Lord God, in, the, in the, uh, just the way John uh, sews it up from one end to another and backwards and forward, Lord God, you know, contrasting and positive and, and, and the, the opposite, Lord, and just kind of showing us and, and bringing this message home to us, Lord God, and help us to know you better uh, through uh, this love Lord God, and even the love that we have uh, to exercise amongst one another, Lord God. So we just pray that your spirit uh, would enlighten this word to us this morning. <clears throat> In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> now, so it is also at this juncture that we come to a point in the letter where John doesn't add much in the way of new information kind of going forward. Of course, there's always something new and God can reveal, so I'm not saying that, but not much in the way of new information, yet he kind of revisits, he reinforces, and it repeats the themes already presented. And so today, our primary focus will be on these verses in chapter 4, as we'll also, again, look in the context of the letter itself and to those contrasts and repetitive theme themes that John presents so well uh, for, for clarity's sake. And so then we'll conclude our service uh, with communion, as, as I stated here. So, but first, a quick recap. Last week, we tried to grasp the full implication of what the reality of, is of being called children of God. And that is what we are, right? We were confronted with the contrast of being born of God with his seed remaining in us, doing what is right and good versus being imitators of the devil, right? By not doing what is right and good on the simplest level beyond that, right? But especially as is evidenced in the closing of verse 310, not having love for one another. It was a pretty serious warning that John gave his church. And so my hope is that we will be challenged together to see how we are to operate in this arena, in this arena of love for one another, and then also, though, how we can come to expect to come to know God better through our experiencing and doing love. Because I think that was the big part of John's heart in writing this letter. So let's just begin here. Uh, chapter 4, verse 7. Right? Dear friends, let us love one another because God is love. Uh, be, be, because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Right? We should recall that we have already delved into this new command right? with the qualifier of those five little words of Jesus. As I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And as we have also noted that this love reference here is not just mere human affection, right? but it is the divine agape love, which is unconditional, sacrificial, others-focused. Right? The, the type of the love that God demonstrates towards us when we were yet sinners, right, Christ died 
for us, right? That calling us, calling us in the family of God. We talked a lot about, you know, the family resemblance, bearing the family resemblance and kind of living our lives forward uh, from there. And so when we look at the, the words here, love or loved or loves, uh, that's what it's referring to all through uh, this part of the letter. So first, right, we're going to consider this command of one, love one another. Right, again, it's not going to be a list. I'm really not the list guy, uh, but John does make a big emphasis on that, of, of, I mean, even weighs it as an evidence that we are in God's family by the way we love one another. So it is important. Uh, but again, we're going to look at a little bit more of why and what that means, not, not exactly how. I, I trust this is a very loving body, and I pray that we'll have ways to, to work that out. And uh, maybe someone else uh, will preach that, that, that message another time. And so, but uh, we're, looking to, we're going to look back at chapter 3, verses 11 through 18, uh, which we did not cover last week. And so we're just going to touch on those, but specifically to explore some practical ways that we're to love one another in the family of God. So just put your eyes back on the scriptures, a, a paragraph or two, 1 John 3, 11, It says this, for this is the message you have heard from the beginning, we should love one another, unlike Cain, who was the evil one and murdered his brother. Wow, sometimes we're like, oh, you know, if you don't know the Old Testament, you say, well, you know, Cain married, you know, murdered his brother. You know, the question would be why? John asked that question here, and why did he murder him? And I like this. Sometimes we have to dig around all through Scripture. Well, the, the answer is right there for us. Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous, right? It was jealousy over the sacrifice that God uh, had honored and, and accepted, Right? But God didn't so much reject Cain as he rejected his sacrifice because it wasn't given with the right heart. And God even told him, look, why is your countenance downcast? All you have to do, if you just do what's right, won't, won't, you know, won't your countenance be lifted? Like, won't I, in other words, I'll accept you if you do this. But uh, Cain didn't take it that way. Cain focuses anger and his malice towards his righteous brother. All right? So the warning is there for us not to be like Cain in this regard. Okay, obviously, we're not to commit murder. <laughs> All right, among, I don't mean to make light of that, right? But if you have a disagreement with a brother or sister today, I don't think our first inclination is we want to go murder them in a field somewhere. All right, so that's obvious. But yet, so there's got to be more. There's a broader, more general implication here, right? We are not to discourage or otherwise to uh, silence or stifle righteous behavior or growth in fellow Christians. Right? This can be so subtle, too. It can be by being a stumbling block to one another. It can be by really overt and purposeful kind of telling people, hey, listen, chill on the Jesus stuff a little bit, will you? You know, do we really have to? Hey, we've just been to church. It's okay here. You know, raise your hands and a hallelujah and all that. You know, but hey, we're out here now. We're in the, we're in the workforce. We're, we're here at play or whatever that is. No, we're not to be like that, right? We're not to be flipping in our worship and coming to God, right? Because what it ended up with Cain is ultimate sin against his brother. Hate to the extreme ended in murder, all right? And so that can be in so many subtle ways or not so subtle. But rather also, though, I like to look at it in the positive manner, Okay, where we should strive to do the opposite by encouraging and striving to grow in righteousness together. Right, iron sharpens iron. You know, contending as one man for the faith together. <laughs> right, that we're in this together and we're working. That's the only way we can really operate and grow in in, in our own sanctification. And again, uh, for the glory uh, of God. And so that's something that was definitely absent in the Cain and Abel 
uh, as brother story there. And furthermore, though, we shouldn't expect our righteousness to be understood or accepted by the world. We uh, talked about that at least last week, probably the last two weeks. But verse 13 says, do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. So again, evidence of you, know, you passing from death to life, this new life, being reborn and being a, a child of God is that we have a love for our brothers and sisters, right? Now, it's important to know that we do not pass from death to life because we love. That would be works, right? That would be religion, right? Rather, we love because we have passed from death to life, that being a fruit, right? Bearing fruit in our lives out of the result of passing from death to life, being, being, being in the vine, right? And, and seeing the fruit come out in our life through Jesus in us, and also notice that John says this, that we have passed from death to life. Past tense. It's a sealed deal, right? In the past, it's done. But first 14b, in, uh, uh, again, still in chapter three, the one who does not love remains in death. Another contrast, right? Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, equating it directly back to the Cain and Abel story, right? Elevating that, not just physical murder, but if you hate your brother and sister, is a murderer, is counted as a murderer. And you know that no murderer, murderer has eternal life residing in him. In other words, that is not fruit, <laughs> that is not bearing the family resemblance. That is not fruit of, you know, the righteousness of God, right? Doing good and, and, and set of evil, uh, there, Wade. See, but so John really is simply sharing what he learned from Jesus at the feet of Jesus at the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, Do not murder. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, You fool, will be subject to hellfire. <laughs> Jesus was quite serious about this, apparently, yeah? And so, therefore, John is too, and I just relay it, all right? And so, conversely, though, how should we, right, those having eternal life residing in us, how should we behave in this world? Verse 16, again in chapter 3 still, this is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brother's and sisters, right? So, you know, the command again, that oft repeated and just over and over, but with, with growing intensity and awareness of why we do these things, right? Knowing God through love. John, uh, Jesus said himself in John chapter, recorded for us in John 15, uh, he's talking to his disciples, a longer section of, uh, of scripture there. He says, this is my command, love one another. Again, those five little words, as I have loved you. He says, no one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. Now, looking forward to the communion table, this verse concerning Jesus should take on a very special meaning. But then within the context of John chapter 15, this being an illustration of the vine and the branches. Actually, God is the vine dresser. He's the keeper of, of the vineyard there. Uh, Jesus himself is uh, the vine, and we are the branches, right? The branches that are set forth and even uh, uh, called back and, and, uh, and, and all cut back 
uh, to prune, right? The, the word there is, uh, right? To bear fruit in our lives, right? Rather, it's the, you know, we're reminded that loving others is not the work unto salvation, right? Again, works, but rather it is the fruit springing forth from our salvation. Because we are saved, we'll do and bear uh, these types of loving good deeds, right? It tells us in uh, Hebrews to uh, provoke one another to love and good deeds, right? It's the exact opposite at the end of the, uh, the list of the fruit of the, of the Spirit in Galatians 5, where it says, do not provoke one another to jealousy. Again, we've seen the, the, the fruit of that evil heart was Cain slaying his brother uh, Abel even, okay? But this is the fruit springing forth from our salvation to do good and to spur, even provoke others on to love and good deeds. Again, that, that part of, right, not stifling righteousness, right? Not trying to silence a witness, but, you know, doing the exact opposite of, of what hate your brother, hating your brother or sister is, uh, which Jesus and John equates to even murder. All right, so not enough on that, but I, <laughs> I'm going to move on, right? There's more practical instruction for us here in, uh, in uh, uh, verse 17. You know, if anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? He's kind of, right, it's a rhetorical question in a sense because it's a letter being written, but it does demand an answer, right? If, if, you know, if you see a fellow brother in need, you have the means, you see him in need, but you withhold, it says compassion to him, not just withhold the need from him, right? But you withholds compassion from him. How does God's love reside in him? You know, so thinking about Jesus, right, about laying down one's life for another and what that means. Again, we can, I think we understand that a little clearer for Jesus. Well, Jesus laid down his life, you know, so I could be with God and that my sins could be forgiven, right? I'm not called to do that. None of us are called to lay our lives down in that way. We can't. It's not necessary for one thing, right, quite simply. But we are called to lay our lives down in other ways. And I say that it's more along the line, again, from the lesson of Cain and Abel, it's to lay our lives down before one another in a way that provokes us towards love and good deeds, right? Uh, fanning the flames of righteousness, doing, doing life better together in all those various ways. And then we can, you can build out your list of how you do that from there. I really am going to trust us to continue to, to think about that, of how you can practically love uh, one another by laying down your life. Right, so we understand that, but you know how it looks in Jesus. But how does that look for us? That's a question for us uh, to answer uh, for ourselves after some reflection. What does it mean to lay down our lives? But then here's the more practical instruction in verse 17. Again, right, talking about material goods. Right, what is, which is easier to do? To lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Again, understanding that we don't have to lay it down ultimately, right? We don't literally have to be slain for it. Maybe someone might be called to that. Not many. Okay, certainly not for our salvation. We're not called to that. But every, I'm going to say probably every day, every, long, every year by year, as years go by in and around the church fellowship, right, there's going to be opportunity, right, to give up a share of your material possessions to care for the compassionate needs of one another. And now just a quick word on, uh, about needs, right? For all of humanity, all of history, trying to somehow block out or put out of our minds a little bit of what, you know, a, a Western man, and this isn't to tear down, you know, but, you know, our idea of prosperity and needs and wants is very different than the rest of the world, right? For the rest of the world, uh, even today, but certainly through the 
uh, eons of time is food, clothing, and shelter. Those are our needs. Right? I, you know, I don't, I'm not compelled to help anyone to you know, pay off their $1,300 cell phone bill. I wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be compelled in the least to even want to do that. <laughs> yeah, you're going to learn a lesson. All right, now food, clothing, and shelter, right? A compassionate need, we need to minister to that. And I'm going to say this, go out, but not only that, because we do have other means in this country. So maybe, you know, you can give an extra blessing, right? It can be about a little bit about comfort, you know, bump a, bump a want over the needs category a little bit. Does that make sense? I mean, you know, so there's ways to do that. We don't want someone just living, you know, the minimalist, you know, thing, and that's the only way we're going to help. I'm not limiting you in that help. I am trying to guide us a little bit of what it means to minister to the compassionate needs of one another, but anyhow, the key here is that we're being prompted by compassion stirred up in our hearts, right? Verse 18 says this, little children, again, John's you know, favorite you know, addressing to his beloved church, little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth, right? Action is kind of with our material goods, perhaps, right? And then in truth goes back again to kind of not stifling or trying to silence the righteousness and other Christians, but doing the exact opposite to build one another up and to walk better in light of those things. That's how we show love to one another. But now let's go back to chapter four, verse seven here, and we're just going to move forward that way. So back to chapter four, verse seven, we're going to see now how all manner of our practicing this love leads us to knowing God through love. Verse seven, dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. This is now the third time around in this single letter, the apostle John addresses this need to love one another, right? I'm even tripping up on my words as I say some of these, right? You know, we get it. This word love, or its forms of love, loves, loved, that agape love is found 42 times in this entire letter. 32 of them, 32 times in this section alone. Perhaps John is trying to say something to his beloved church, yeah? (laughs) And I'm trying to relay that today. Verse eight, the one who does not love does not know God because God is love. That could be a whole, a whole sermon, all right? Just as in the opening, we learned that God is light, we now hear emphatic, emphatically, God is love. Not that God loves or is loving or has loved, right? He certainly does indeed do all those things. However, the statement is made, God is love. And uh, the verse nine is the proof of that love, right? We don't have to go far. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God, has, God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. This is echoing John, uh, 1 John 3.16, 1 John 3.16, where he says this, this is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Back to there, right? Uh, again, that's simply repeating what John heard Jesus say. In John 3.16, for God so loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. See, this gift of eternal life was given to those, uh, you, me, us, who were spiritually dead. That's what we were. We were spiritually dead in our transgressions and sins. (laughs) We were separated (laughs) by this chasm that there was no way we were going to make that up by our 
by our merit, our, our trying <laughs> and battling the, the forces of evil in this world, we weren't going to get there. Right? Enabling us, though, not only to know God, but to be loved by him and to love him in return and to love one another for all eternity. Think about that again. We try, I know we touched on that, you know, the, the atonement and uh, sacri- you know, the sacrificial atonement uh, of Jesus Christ in, in weeks. We're still going to talk about that a little bit more today. But to grasp that, right? He could have just saved us and said, okay, you're saved. Okay, you're not going to go to hell, but now, okay, you know, your sentence is commuted <laughs> back to that courtroom drama, right? But no, it's more than that. We're, we're, we're called, we're enabled now to know God, right? To be loved by him and to love him in return and love one another for all eternity. Look to your left and right. You can even turn around your seat a little bit, right? Maybe look back to the front. This is it, guys, gals. We're, we're your family, <laughs> right? We're gonna be in, in heaven eternity together, and now some are thinking, well, I'm glad it's eternity because that means there's going to be more people there and I can spread myself out a little bit. Uh, uh, you know, that's fair, all right? That's a fair, fair thing. But I want to spend time with you guys, all right? Because, man, I, I don't think I, I don't really even know Pascal, you know? Do I really know this guy? I know I spend, you know, uh, about to say more time than his wife with him, but that would not be true. Well, I'm close. He's here a lot. And, and we love to serve the Lord together, but... Uh, so maybe I'll finally get to know him, all right? But verse 10, right? Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Again, to revisit this, I, I think we made an attempt the last two different two weeks in a row, right? The end of chapter one and then chapter two, uh, and then repeated that again, right? God's love for us was proven by the sacrificial death of his one and only son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, offered up his body, right, his life for ours so that we could come to know God and to be, you know, forgiven of our sins. Again, the communion table, right? An incredible thing. That's what love, love consists of that. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, he made the one who did not know sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us, to take sin on so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Incredible. Verse 11, back and still in chapter three, right? Oh, no, chapter four. <laughs> chapter four, verse 11. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another, right? Broken record, I don't know. <laughs> no, we gotta get this message, right? Some of your translations might say must, ought, duty, obligation, all very good. That is the idea. It's an obligation to love one another. It's not an option at this point because of all these things, because God loved us, because of all he did for us. It's just expected Here's, you know, that we're going to do this here, right? With God's love for us being proven by his holy sacrifice, we are now called to show the love uh, for God by our love for one another, right? Echoing the words of Jesus, uh, even when he gave that command to love one another as I have loved you, he said this, by this, everyone would know that you are my disciples if you love one another, He's saying that's going to be a proof text, you know, that you do love me, that you are called of me, that you have the family resemblance, all those things that we talked about. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says this, For the love of Christ compels us, since we have reached this conclusion that one died for all, and therefore all died. Important, remember today at the communion table. And he died for all 
so that those who live should no longer live by them, for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. Right? Again, that's why you title, you know, knowing God through love. I think that's the central message of John's first letter here. And now in the next uh, uh, verses, 12 through 18, uh, just a, a little, little bit faster, not, not real detailed on them, okay? But we're going to look for at least four realities. And I say this at least because sometimes, you know, preachers can come up with four points and, you know, sometimes there's alliteration behind it. Uh, not so much here. But, you know, there's always going to be something more. God can reveal more things, okay? But at least four realities here we're going to look at. So number one is how we are joined to God. Number two, how God is joined to us. And it's only subtly different, but I I definitely want to use the John method here, right, to bring those two points together. Number three is how we are given confidence in our salvation. And number four, how we are protected from fear of the coming judgment. Again, bringing those two sides of the same thing together to, to make a solid point. So first, verses 12 and 13, right? To show how we are joined to God. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. Now, I couldn't possibly overdo this, but we, we did talk about this in the, the, the previous weeks. You know, we got to understand at least, right? We do not do any of this in our own strength, <laughs> Right? We don't even set out to do it in our own strength. I don't want to do. You know, I don't want to love one another just as Jesus loved me. <laughs> not, not purely, not, not enough, not all the time, but yet we're constantly called to that. And that, again, it's by our spirit. Those things are confirmed. Love is made complete in us. He has given us his spirit. All right? And that's, I, want, I don't want to neglect that this morning. And again, that could be a whole teaching. Verse 14 says this, and we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son as the world's Savior. Right? We testify to the world. Jesus is not dead. It's like we made our own Hollywood movie, right? Uh, you know, God is not dead. Well, Jesus is not dead. And how do we know that? Well, it's the, as he is living in us for the world to see. We're the movie. <laughs> oh, how does that make you feel? Right? Oh, oh, we're, you know, oh, we're the movie for Jesus, right? Or we're the movie, <laughs> right? Different days, different reaction for me, at least. Maybe not you, you know. But you know. But nevertheless, it should provoke us to those love and good deeds, those doing good and righteousness, and those kind of things. And we do all those things better together. All right. But anyhow, the Apostle John here is once again holding up the atonement of Jesus Christ, the righteous one, as all sufficient in its provision for the world. It's there, right? It's a gift to be received. But the next verses show us that it is only efficient for those who have placed their full faith and trust in Jesus. Verses 15 and 16, right? Show, shows us how God is joined to us. How, how, how does God make that? How is it possible that he could breach that chasm and, and, and come to us? Right, it says this, verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, thinking back to verses 1, 9, and 10, right? But God remains in him and he in God, and we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, proclaimed now for the second time. And the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. So verse 17 says this, right? It, it shows us now, three, right? Shows us how we are given confidence 
In verse 17, it says, in this, love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. Again, that whole concept of being a child of God and being as he is in this world, so are we. I mean, I don't know. My, you know, my mind's blown just being here again, say, saying that, having to read those words again, right? And I, one thing I note here is that the earlier or the younger we learn this, the more we can really live and grow as God intends. I'm looking out and seeing a lot of younger people here than me. Hallelujah, all right? There's a lot of, also a lot of seasoned uh, saints uh, here among us. Hallelujah for that too. We need, and again, we're better together and we grow more together in our own sanctification, but also in the glory to God. We do all that better uh, together by, you know, just who I'm looking at right here and now. But it is true, right? If the earlier you learn this, <laughs> the better it is, right? You know, I think back to that poem in chapter two, addressing dear children, fathers, and young men, right? Where we were being called to obey his commands, to know his word, and to hold fast to that truth that they received in the beginning. Again, that's the heart of John continually to tell him, don't forget, right? Hold on to what you had in the beginning. Don't be taken off track. We haven't talked about them in a while, right? Those false teachers, right? But don't be led astray by them. Go back to what you first learned and, you know, from us, right? The apostolic ministry and the teaching, right? Jesus, John said, you know, what we've seen and heard, <laughs> whom we touched and lived with and walked with, right? This is what we proclaim to you, all those things, all right? So we understand uh, that, we're, um, uh, that we're given confidence in that day of judgment through that. Verse 18 shows us how we're protected from fear, Right? There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. Right? Now, this here whole idea of perfect love drives out fear, this addresses so much more than mere phobias. And I don't want to minimize phobias and fears and anxiety and things that people have. Okay, Because I'll say this, although close fellowship with God and one another can and does offer great help in those areas. Absolutely, uh, you know, it, it does that. But the, the bigger thing here, rather, what it's talking about here is that this specifically displays a mature understanding of God's love for us, giving us great assurance and confidence in our salvation, right? Because that's one of the reasons John wrote the book was so that you may know that you have eternal life, right? So, but this resulting in no fear of that coming judgment, Right? Not flippantly, we understand that, right? As we went through the sacrificial, uh, you know, the atonement of Jesus Christ, the, the righteous one, all those things that we had to kind of wrestle with and get and understand the magnitude of that. But, uh, you know, we don't have to have any fear of that coming judgment because of all that. And then it makes way for our appropriate response in verse 19. We love because he first loved us. <laughs> All right. We again, I, Jim Burke would not have the the love or even uh, how to even attempt that. Right? What what a vain attempt it would be, you know, uh, without God first loving me. Romans twelve one says this about a, a living sacrifice, and I love what Pastor Carl says. Our pastor he calls it a, a, a sacrifice living because it's so right. It's kind of like an oxymoron. It's like a, no, a, a sacrifice is put down and. And, and slaughtered and left as a picture, as an illustration, right? You know, done, done in with. No, we're to be a, a sacrifice living, right? Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. 
It's the only reasonable thing that makes sense, basically. Another thing I stole from our pastor, right? It just is. With all that, understand the mercies of God. This is, this is your, your spiritual act of worship. It's a reasonable thing to do is to offer our lives back to him, right? And again, it's followed up by a contrast that we become so accustomed to in this letter. It says in verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar, For the person who does not love his brother or sister, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. Verse 21, and we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Brings us to the end of that section, but we're not done, almost. Taking every opportunity here to walk in harmony, right? Strolling, picture strolling hand in hand in fellowship with God and one, one another, As we draw to a close, we'll simply read these first few verses of chapter 5. As the Apostle John continues to hammer this concept of love home in our hearts, bringing us to this conclusion, it says this, the first four verses, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of him. This is how we know that we love God's children. When we love God and obey his commands, For this is what love for God is, to keep his commands. And his commands are not a burden, because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. 